Hello and welcome to the AWS Podcast. Simon Alicia here with a special episode in a special series for you. This series is called Startup Stories and is a weekly series of podcasts related to the startup world hosted by Darren Morey. In your AWS podcast feed, you'll still get the regular AWS podcast, but now also sometimes special series during the week that will be indicated as such with a tag in the title. That way you can choose which ones to listen to and which ones may not be in your area of interest. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this special series and keep on building. Welcome to the AWS Startup Stories, a weekly podcast about getting a business off the ground, keeping it there and growing it further. In each episode, we'll be talking to one or several rising stars of the startup world and hear about their stories and ideas, the obstacles they've had to overcome, and the things they wish they'd known before they got started on building their digital businesses. My name is Darren Morey, and I lead the startup and venture capital team at Amazon Web Services. And today, I'm very happy to welcome Clementine Lalonde, the CFO and COO of Once, a dating app focused on helping people find love. And clearly, they're doing that quite well, as seen from their 4,000% growth over the last year, not to mention 700,000 monthly active users, 4 million downloads, and operating currently in 11 countries. So before we go any deeper, I'd love to just let the listeners hear a little bit more about your background, the experiences and the things that you've learned that have brought you here to once. I'm an engineer from a training, which is very helpful in, in dating, as everybody knows. Um, I started my career as a Boston consulting group. Um, I was a project leader over there um, in various countries for a few years. I was also an investor. Um, I started my own uh, investment fund for social businesses in developing countries. I was in Haiti, in Uganda, in Brazil for a while, in Germany as well. Uh, lately, I was actually a venture capital investor, straight venture capital in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, at I invest, um, and I've been always kind of you know on the entrepreneur side of the investors, so always you know being super eager to be with the teams. And at some point, you know, um, there was this opportunity. Um, uh, Jean, the CEO, was actually a good friend, an old friend of mine. Um, and as the business was actually starting to grow super super quickly, he said, you know, I need you to join. Like, come, <laughs> come and help. So um, exactly, I'm the latest of the of the C level um, at, at once. Excellent. Yeah, it's interesting because your background definitely points to that social and societal impact as well. So I'm sure that that's guided quite a bit of the decisions you've made and the impact that you can now have at once, which is excellent. Um, to dive into once, you know, obviously the, the dating market itself, many people could say is a fairly crowded space, meaning lots of solutions and offerings to help people get connected with um, with the love of their lives. But yet once has a very unique approach. Can you just give us a flavor into um, how is once different than the other dating solutions available to folks today? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, dating is a fascinating market. It's at first, it's a very old market. It's a, it's a very big market. It's uh I think it's close to five billion. It's a very big market, um, and um, if you think about it, you could segment it in two ways, right? Like one, you have the um, web and mobile segmentation, right? And then, and the other dimension, you have basically the casual and the serious um, dating. So people, you know, who want just you know have uh, casual encounters, if you can say this on the, on the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and basically people who are just looking for love, basically. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you think about it, mobile was really the big, the last very big disruption in this sector. That was you know, a few years ago. Um, and if you look at the big competitors and really the one that really have, you know, millions of users, um, there's nobody really in the mobile 
serious space. Mm. Um, um, you have Tinder, obviously, on the on the casual space, but on the serious space, that we felt there was no there was no good offer. Um, I'm saying we was actually Jean at the time. Um, he's he's the CEO and, and one of the co-founders. He's been in the um, in the dating space for quite some time now. Um, that's his third company. He launched a, a, a company on on that sector in, in the US a few years ago. And um, while doing this, he um, he met somebody from South Korea um, who introduced him to this very unique idea to say, "Hey, why don't we um, have to you know keep the time basically? Sorry, why don't we just take the time uh, for slow dating and have this one match a day type of an idea?" And have this one match a day where you have only one, you know, one person at noon. Um, and Jean back then said, like, yeah, that's going to be my next company and I'm going to make it global. So you made an interesting point there around people are willing to pay, right? And so obviously the application itself may be a free download. But I know our listeners would be interested to understand from a monetization perspective, how does one think about generating revenue, becoming a profitable company, understanding that the app itself is obviously a, a free application? It starts with product and proposition, right? So, uh, and, and our team and our co-founder team is a super strong product team. So um, the first step was really to have this unique value proposition about this concept of one match a day, which is enabling, pe enabling people to um, have time to make encounters um, and also basically so you're matched with one, one somebody and you have 24 hours to uh, exclusivity uh, to the first step, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so really the, the, the concept is uh, you're moving away from kind of swiping endlessly and, you know, meeting 50,000 people a day. Mm -hmm. um, um, Besides this, um, there was a willingness to have a beautiful, perfect, super fluid, uh, maxi-scalable product. And we actually spent the first year doing this. We launched 18 months ago. And here's the way we thought about this. We thought, like, we have this beautiful concept, and that's going to be a freemium model, okay? So basically, in the app, you have this experience. You have this free one match a day at noon. And then if you want to go beyond this, then you have... Um, Basically, premium options um, that you um, that, mon that are monetizing. You can get a second match. You can pick your match for tomorrow. You can send chat requests to people you liked because um, the screen also kind of show you some profiles. I'm saying that it, it looks super easy when we look at this right now. Those five features mm -hmm. um, and they're working beautifully in every country, every single country we are in, we're in. Um, but it wasn't it it, it wasn't uh, written, you know. So that's the result of of hard and painful months of iterations and testing and testing, Abby testing anything basically, mm -hmm. uh, from you know all kind of models, all kind of monetization options. Um, some you know a lot of fight also within the team because not everybody has you know intuition. We're a super data driven company, mm -hmm. so at the end it was really the data speaking, you know, what works, what did, what didn't work, and those features are the one that picked up. Excellent. Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned a few terms there that ring true for us, especially 
Uh, keeping in mind, for example, how Amazon works, we're a company that iterates very, very quickly. And so again, the concept that you and I have discussed previously of there's never a perfect time, right? There's never a, a, a perfect ideal situation. So it's important that you make a decision and continue to innovate and iterate on that decision. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, how you make that cultural norm or that expectation real from a product perspective? Meaning it's one thing to say we're going to make quick decisions and iterate quickly. But do you have any insights or recommendations for startup founders or people that are thinking of starting a company on how do you actually make that happen in reality? Well, I would say it's, it's two things. First thing is hiring. Okay. So, I mean, like... I spend, and probably together with the CEO, I would say I spend more than half of my time looking for the right people. Mm -hmm. Okay, because that's that's where you know that's that's where it all starts. You can you can you know invent magic dashboards or you know a smart algorithm or whatever. Like if you don't have the right people that have the same mindset, you just go nowhere. Mm -hmm. The second thing is have data, but don't be overwhelmed by data. The most data-driven, data-freak person that you, you know, that, you know, that, that I, that you can meet. But um, I'm also always saying, and even to myself, like, don't spend too much time. Look at it, but just also throw yourself in the water. One of the things you mentioned there around hiring brings me back to, um, again, the focus on globalization. And I'm curious, with such a small team, and yet you're already in 11 markets, and I'm sure have aspirations to continue that global expansion. Do you think differently about hiring when you know you're going to be a global company? Meaning, do you think about hiring people in all of these local markets where you're expanding? Do you look for a certain type of skill of someone that's just a more globally oriented person? You know, so mm -hmm. how do you think about hiring the right resources, mm -hmm. knowing again that you want to expand to be much more of a global presence than a, than a single country? What we do is, you know, well, besides translating the app, which is just a no-brainer, um, we basically, we hire a local marketing manager and when I mean local, is somebody that speaks the language, also have been doing marketing and knows the influencer, know the trends, know the media landscape um, inside out. Um, this person is based in London with us. We have nobody in the countries mm. um, besides the matchmakers, but I, I can talk about this later. Um, um, and then we, we lock a, the PR with an agency and we just roll out our plan. So starting usually with a soft launch. And then once we, we, we have the good luck, you know, going full blast um, to start acquisition and, and, um, and awareness in the country. Um, and so basically, um, that's kind of the first um, element I'm looking at when, I, when we're hiring people for this. I'm talking about, you know, m mostly kind of, you know, marketing and business development people here. Um, that means they need to be to have strong local insights why living abroad and also being able to kind of you know distillate the knowledge to the rest of the world um uh, and 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 then and then maybe the single angle it, and here i'm talking really about any kind of teams okay i'm talking about as well as my dev teams as the bi teams or you know or the even even finance and admin people which is basically to like me and somebody else <laughs> talking as we, uh, and um, those people need to be need to have this kind of global cultural fluidity. That means you know obviously fluid, perfect English, but also you know we, uh, if you look at the team we have, uh, we we do have. Uh, it's not a criteria; it would be stupid, but de facto we have a lot of people that have lived in, in, in several countries and speak many languages and just happy to kind of be with folks from around the world. So Clementine, one of the really interesting things that I find when I um, have learned more about once is this concept of your matchmakers. 
And you've talked about and shared some insight into the very sophisticated technical platform that you've developed that uses um, very interesting technologies around artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and systems learning. And yet you've chosen to augment that with this concept of these 20 or so matchmakers. Can you help the listeners and I understand why did you make the choice to augment technology with humans? And how are you then getting the most out of that model that you've chosen? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we, we did that because basically um, there's only so much an algorithm can pick in a picture, right? Um, I mean, we use computer vision. We use a lot of you know technologies behind it. But at the end, you know, a quirky detail in a, in a picture or some sense of humor in the Cho- you know, choice of the pictures that have been done by the user that um, can only be picked by human. Um, and that was really something we wanted to add to the value proposition and um, that we started, you know, um, um, just six months, six months ago, exactly six months ago, actually. Um, and, 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 and we think it's a good complement to what we do, what we can do with the algorithm. So, um, so what the, the model we picked is, so obviously we have local you know, lang- local people that speak a local language, able to kind of, you know, interact with the users and really, they're almost kind of a love coach if you think about it, right? Um, that's actually part of the, of the you know, things we could, we, we're working on to, mm. you know, even make more out of this very special relationship that you can create with a matchmaker. Um, so they're from all countries. Um, they're locally based. Um, we have a super scalable platform to, you know, manage them remotely. So not only recruit them, but also so um, interface them with clients, you know, whatever, have them invoice, like, you know, I don't want to bore you with technical details, but it's, it's, it's super scalable. Ultimately, um, what we do, as anything else in the company, um, we're super performance oriented and, you know, super data driven. So we pay them by the match. It's not. It's more complicated than this, but like basically, they're kind of incentivizing the results of people actually liking their matches, and that enables us to keep the you know the one that are performing. That means the one you know that um, propose matches that uh, that our users are happy with. To return to the global expansion piece, um, I think one of the one of the areas that that I know I have a question, and probably our listeners do as well, is understanding you're in eleven countries and knowing you plan to continue to expand. How do you think about where to expand? Meaning you've got, a, uh, as you've said, a, a, a global audience, a, a huge audience of, of potential customers and users. So how do you make, again, that intelligent data-focused and data-based decision on where to expand next? We're meant to be global, okay? We are already technically, but we, we're going to be much, much, much bigger um, in the coming months and years. Basically, um, we're looking at, um, you know, markets that are... Um, good for meditation okay um so we're looking for you know um an age group and um and and um and a type of social category that's pretty obvious like you know you have really people that are willing and 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 probably going to be very happy on the app everywhere in the world um so um uh, but you know for example we launched in brazil and it wasn't monetizing so well so that's typically one of the markets we open also decided to close pretty quickly i think you actually mentioned something there that's important and that is uh, many times when we think about startups and scale-ups, we're talking about exactly that, right? Getting something started, giving life to an idea, 
taking an idea that already has legs and growing it. And yet you mentioned something there that's very powerful, which is startups also needing to understand that at times you're going to enter a market and need to close that market, or you're going to launch a product and need to close that product. We work with many gaming customers who you know, use us to be able to experiment with new concepts around games, knowing that most of them will be closed and not actually be, be brought forward. Uh, can, you, can you comment a little bit more about how you as a business leader and a startup leader not only think about growth and expansion and starting things, but also how you think about closing things and how you think about making a decision um, that, that ultimately points to you being able to mitigate your risk, right, and, and kind of turn off projects that may not be as successful? You know, we we know how fast we should get to our first 100,000 customers. We know how fast it should monetize, how much it should convert, et cetera, et cetera. So um, with that experience and, you know, and also getting ready for bigger markets um, as the U.S., um, we also know when, where it doesn't work. So it's it's just a matter of being honest with yourself and kind of acknowledging sometimes. It, do, it doesn't mean the market is kind of closed forever, right? It just means it's just not the right setting or it was not done properly or it's just not kind of the right value proposition yet. Maybe there's something else that will come up later. Um, as I also mentioned, our product is constantly evolving. So um, when we launched in France, which was in October 2015, um, the, the 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 product was super simple. It was really just um, you know as an MVP. It was just this one uh, noon match, and and that's it basically. Yeah, and we added all those features I mentioned over the course of twenty sixteen, and we have in our roadmap again kind of five new features that's going to be you know tested and implemented before the end of the year. So. You know, you, you don't know if, if, if one of them are going to be good for this market or the other one, maybe, you know, maybe next year. Uh, but I think it's about agility and looking at data and making decisions quickly. So one final question from my side, and that is, again, your, your really interesting experience at Boston Consulting Group, at being an, an actual, um, you know, uh, social funder, as being a venture capitalist yourself, being in a startup, you have a very interesting portfolio of experiences. And I think it provides a unique opportunity for us to ask you, what guidance would you give the either current uh, startup founder or soon-to-be startup founder or startup executive? What kind of advice could you give those people as they think about starting new companies and starting to tackle new disruptive opportunities in, in interesting markets? I actually just realized um, that the advice I would give was actually the one that I was already giving when I was an investor. So that's probably the that's probably the only thing that an investor say that's true, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is um, which is again really about. Um, um, velocity and agility. Um, you know, you recognize the amazing teams because they really do three times as much that the other teams do in the same period of time. It's not just because they're smarter or better, like, you know, sometimes maybe a little bit, but it's also because they just allow themselves to be super quick and also force themselves to be super quick. And I think it's really, it's it's a combination. I mean, you know, I think by now everybody has read Lean Startup and everybody understands what it means, but it's not the same to read it and to put it in practice. And also your funding is limited. So force yourself every minute to focus on the essential and, and really... Um, you know, to execute and do what's going to matter the most, make the most difference for your business. Hmm. Um, that also means living with imperfection, which is something I'm personally constantly fighting, <laughs> constantly fighting against, you know, f for myself. Because I'm really a num numbers person, you know, I like things to be perfect and, and clean and square, etc. But I think it's, it's, um, it's important to really keep this, this, um, this mantra to say, you know, faster, faster, faster. <laughs>
That's excellent. Well, Clementine, I can't thank you enough for sharing your background professionally, but also giving us a glimpse into what's happening at once. A super interesting dating app that's much more than just an app from what I can from what I can hear from you. Fascinating technology augmented with the matchmaker capability and the fact that you're growing globally. I think a lot of our listeners who aren't currently in one of the 11 countries will be looking forward to seeing you launch in their countries as well. So thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thanks a lot. Next week on AWS Startup Stories, we'll hear from Will Bentink, head of careers at Makers Academy, and Andrew Thompson, head of engineering at YoYo Wallet, talking about that crucial element for startup growth, hiring software engineers. Tune in next time. If you enjoyed this episode, check out the AWS Startup Stories webpage in the show notes for the podcast, along with a useful cheat sheet. And look out for other Startup Story podcasts coming your way soon. To find out about AWS and how we can help you grow, build, and transform your business, join thousands of innovative leaders at the AWS Summit on June 28th.